All right, we're covering Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now we're going to spend most of our time, if not the rest of our time tonight, looking at Daniel's decision not to defile himself with the king's food. Now, the king, the key here, though, as you're going to see, is that Daniel felt that in eating the king's food, he would defile himself and which means he'd be unclean in the sight of God or not pleasing to God. And I just want to say to you, and we're going to see this tonight, we all should have that same attitude where we desire to live our lives in such a way that we're pleasing to God. Put a bookmark here in Daniel one and go with me to first Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 31. God through Paul says this, So whatever, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me read this to you again. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So we're going to deal tonight with this question. How would eating the king's food defile Daniel and his Jewish friends? Now, there's lots of debate over this, and we're going to cover a lot of it tonight. It should be a fun, actually interesting study. The first thing I want to throw out to you is that, unfortunately, some people have tried to use this passage of Scripture to prove that vegetarianism is the way to go. I mean, because they ate only vegetables, and they were fatter in flesh than everybody else, and this is scriptural proof that you're supposed to only eat vegetables, and eating meat is bad. The problem with that is... That doesn't match up with the rest of Scripture. Go back with me to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 9. Go to Genesis chapter 9 and look at verses 1 through 6. This is right after the flood. And Genesis 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. 
but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So in this passage, we see that God said after the flood, just like I had said every green vegetable and every plant's available for you to eat prior to the flood, now after the flood, God says, every animal, every fish, every bird is yours to eat. By the way, that's going to be important for us later on as we get into our study a little bit further. But God said that everything was available to be eaten. Now, go to Daniel chapter 2, and you'll see in Daniel that, yes, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel only ate vegetables. But in Daniel chapter 10, we see in verse 2 that at some point later, Daniel did eat meat. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. And it says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. This is after the vision that he had seen. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So here we see that Daniel, at this point in his life, had gotten, started eating meat again and drinking wine again. But during that three-week period, he didn't eat meat or drink wine or even bathe himself, really. All right? So we see already that the Scripture teaches that if you say vegetarianism is what the Bible teaches, that's not true. I don't have time to have you walk through this and have you look at it. But if you want to double check me, you can look at Leviticus chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And you'll see that even the priests, when God set up the law, when they were to bring their sacrifices, there were certain parts of each of the animals that were to be given to the priests. The priests were to eat meat. Now, Jesus, when he came to the earth and walked on the earth in the flesh... He actually declared all foods clean. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. I want you to see something in Mark 7 tonight. Because it's also going to start helping us answer this question of why did Daniel feel like eating the king's food would defile him? In Mark chapter 7, look at verses 14 through 23. And he, this is Jesus, called the people to him again and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean." And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So when God's looking at what defiles somebody, he's not really looking at the outward action as much. He's looking at what? At their heart. And that's very important for us as we get into our question for tonight. But again, look closely. Here, Jesus said by saying it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out. He declared all foods clean. That'll help you understand Acts chapter 10. Go back with me to, or forward in the Bible to Acts chapter 10. A familiar passage to many of you probably where Peter is given this vision of these animals that were supposedly unclean on the sheet. In Acts chapter 10, look at verses 9 through 16. In Acts chapter 10, look at verses 9 through 16. 
It says, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, it's his noon, to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here we see that Peter had this vision of these certain animals coming down on a sheet. And God says, rise, kill and eat. He says, oh, no, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. God says, what I've already called clean, don't call unclean. A lot of people think that that's the first time that God declared all foods clean. It was in Acts 10. When did God declare all foods clean? Mark 7. Mark 7. It appears Genesis, but you're about to see after Genesis when they were allowed to eat everything, there came a period where he said certain things you're not supposed to eat and not allowed to eat. We're going to get into that tonight. But at this point, when Jesus says to Peter, what I've called clean, don't call unclean, he'd already declared all foods clean in Mark 7. But... Now we're going to move into another realm that needs to be added. There's so many layers to what we're going to deal with tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 14 and look at verses 1 through 4. You see, we have a desire, each of us, to be God. Now let me just tell you, that didn't go away when you got saved. That was the temptation that Adam and Eve were given. You get to be like God. You get to choose right and wrong, good and evil. And we all want to be in charge of our lives, correct? But we'd also like to be in charge of everybody else's life. And let me tell you, is that not evident right now in our society and in the globe right now? How everybody's up in arms because of this decision or that. And I can't believe they did that. And all these people outrageous because a governor made a decision about masks or no masks. And everybody's got an opinion about everybody else's opinion. We all want to be God. And let me say something to you, folks. Over the years in the church, it's been one of the problems. People, in their righteous indignation, thinking they're speaking for God, have decided that they would look down on their brother or their sister because they don't see things the way they see things. And a lot of damage has been done to the church by the church because people feel something so strongly, you're supposed to feel that way too. And if you don't, you're lesser in my eyes. And look at what God says through Paul in Romans 14. Even after all that we've just seen, Romans 14, verses 1 through 4, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul says there's going to be people in the church that don't always see things the same way. We're going to talk tonight about living your life to the glory of God. And whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you eat and whatever you drink, you're to do it to the glory of God. The problem is, is all of a sudden, we now all of a sudden don't want to be little gods. And we want to determine what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, what you can drink and what you can't drink. By the way, have we not heard that kind of stuff over the years in the church? The Bible says that is God's choice for each of his servants 
what they're to do and what they're not to do for his glory. And you are not to take the role of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. And as we deal with tonight, this topic of doing everything you do to the glory of God and not defiling yourself, you need to be listening to what God's going to be saying to you and tune out when the enemy tries to get you to think about someone else around you. Because that's a temptation all of us face. We're going to come back, Lord willing, if we have time, to this chapter 14 at the very, very end of our study. So if you want to put a bookmark there, you can, but we're going to come back. So right now, one of the options that people have tried to use Daniel 1 to say is that Daniel defiled himself by eating meat in general, that vegetarianism is the way to go. Hopefully you understand from what we've just looked at, that option's off the table. All right. Now, some people say that the Babylonians were offering their food to idols. So Daniel would not eat the meat that had been offered to idols. Let me say this to you. That's a possibility, but there really isn't any scriptural evidence of the fact that the Babylonians were offering their meat to idols. We do know that that was a problem in the early church. I'm going to take you to a passage that dealt with that. We also know that back in Exodus, go to Exodus 34, God told them to be real careful about what they do when it comes to worship the other nations and their worship of other gods. Go to Exodus 34 and look at verses 11 through 16. In Exodus 34, look at verses 11 through 16. God speaking, and he says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive you out before the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare to you in your midst. Don't miss that. That's going to be important later on. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice... And you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. In other words, God says, when you go into these other lands that I'm going to drive out among you, don't get sucked into their worship practices. Because it's going to pull you away from me. Don't make a covenant with them in this area. Jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians 8, look at verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Let me stop you for a second. We've already just seen in Romans 14 that not all Christians are going to see things the same way. Some people who are weak in faith are going to think, man, I can't really eat that meat. It might have been sacrificed to an idol or whatever. And those, are good, those who have knowledge are going to say, you know what? Everything that's been offered to an idol, as you're about to see, really wasn't offered to anything. And, and all foods are declared clean by Jesus in Mark 7. What's the big deal? But we have to be careful that we all of a sudden don't decide, hey, let's get together to discuss so I can show you what I know. What does it say here? Those who think they know something better be careful. Because they don't know as much as they think. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. 
For although there may be so-called small g gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul said, look, I got knowledge. All things are permissible. Not everything's beneficial. I don't go parading around this knowledge that I have, this wisdom from God that I have, and thinking myself better than other people. And I've learned how to live to the glory of God with the freedom that I have. The problem is not everybody's there. And it's not my job to get them to where I am. Whose job is it? It's the Lord's. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to uphold him. He's able to make him stand. Folks, let me just say something to you. We're not going to go down there and chase this rabbit tonight. But over the years, there's been great debate in the church over alcohol and whether or not a Christian should drink ever or how much and all this kind of stuff. And there's been years that people try to say, well, the wine in the Bible that was mentioned wasn't the same thing. as Yes, the same word that says don't get drunk with wine is the same word that is translated wine in other places. Let me just say this to you. The Bible doesn't say that having a drink is bad. But the Bible is very clear that getting drunk is bad. But I also know, listen closely, for Jim Johnson, because of the role that I have been given by God, which is a very public role, not just here, but in front of many people all over the country and parts of the world, God has said to me that I'm never to drink alcohol because there are those who have been raised in certain ways or they've had a problem with alcohol or whatever, and they might think, well, I thought it was really wrong, but if Jim thinks it's okay and I cause them to go into sin, because the Bible says anything you do that's not by faith is sin, and I say you can do whatever you want when they're saying it feels like sin to me, I've done damage. And so for me, I don't drink, not because it's wrong, but it would be wrong for Jim Johnson. Listen closely. I would sin, though, if I then took the next step and said, you all should have the same attitude. Do you see what I did? I took my knowledge and I acted like I knew more than I really know. Because if I really know what the scripture says, that's God's job to show you how to live to the glory of God, whether you eat or whether you drink. Yet how often have we spent time judging our brother and our sister according to what's in their fridge? The fact that the food was possibly offered to idols in Babylon is a slight possibility. But like I said, there's really no scriptural evidence that the Babylonians did this, although they possibly may have. Now, other people say that the reason why Daniel didn't want to defile himself with the king's food is because the food that they, that they had, the meat especially, was not allowed to be eaten by, by Jews since it would have been on the list of meats that God had forbidden in his law. By the way, we do know this. The Babylonians ate pig, and they also ate horse, which are on the no-no list 
according to the law of Moses. Keep in mind, back in Genesis, God said, you can eat every animal. It makes no, he makes no distinction. But for God's purposes, for a season, during the time of the law, God set up that there were certain animals they were allowed to eat and certain animals they were not allowed to eat. Go back with me real quickly to Leviticus chapter 11. I know it's one of your favorite passages or books of the Bible, so I'm sure you know right where it is because everybody loves Leviticus. But if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 23, and then we're going to jump to verses 46 and 47. In Leviticus chapter 11, listen to what the law of Moses said. This is, again, hundreds of years after Noah. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat, nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud, but it doesn't part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or on the, in the rivers that does not have fins or scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, uh, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, and the seagull, and the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-haired a short-eared owl, and the barn owl, the tawny owl, and the carrion vulture, the stork, and the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet, among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joint, jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat. The locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects have four feet, that have four feet are detestable to you. Aren't you glad we're not under the time of law? Yeah. I, I, I sat there going, catfish. I'm glad I get to eat catfish. But no, but why? We already saw in Genesis that God said you can eat every animal. We saw in Mark chapter 7 that he declared all foods clean. Yet for a period... God said, I want you to listen to me, and these certain animals are not to be eaten by you. Verses 46 and 47 help us out with that. Look at verses 46 and 47. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Listen closely. God at this time is doing more than one thing. He's teaching them about cleanliness and all those types of things as well. But listen closely. He's also distinguishing between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. Do you remember Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the... Does anybody know what it says next? The Holy One brings understanding and insight. 
God, for a period, remember the law's purpose is to show them that God is holy and they're not. That there's a distinction between holy and unholy. And as a part of that, he now says, these animals are clean, these aren't clean. These are uh, acceptable, these aren't. And he did that to teach them the distinction between holy and not holy. And oh, by the way, if you and I tried to keep to this law, you would go, Oh, man, I forgot. Is it chew the cud, not chew the cud? I didn't even look at his legs and I ate it. Oh, man, my bad. And listen, you'd come to a point where you'd say, I'm not, I can't do this. And just give me a celery stick. Let me just eat only vegetables. Listen, you'd get to a point where you'd say, Lord, I need help. And he goes, good. Because the whole purpose of the law is to show you you can't keep it. You're You're unrighteous. That's, by the way, that's why the book of Romans says that even though nobody from the time of Adam until the time of Moses broke a command, they all died. And the soul that sins, it shall die. They still were unholy in the eyes of God. They were still sinners in the eyes of God. But sin is not taken into account when there's no law. And so God sent them a law to show them the difference between holy and not and to show them that he is holy and they're not. Now, interestingly enough, there were things that were unclean, we know, that the Babylonians ate that weren't in the Jewish law that they weren't allowed to eat. But if you go back to Daniel 1, look closely again at Daniel 1. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with what? With the wine that he drank. Hang on for a second. There's no Old Testament law forbidding wine. No, it doesn't forbid wine. It, it, it forbids getting drunk with wine. It, it says you can't have anything with fermentation. You have to show me where it says that, because it talked about that wine was okay, but you're not to get drunk. It says Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a barler, and those who are intoxicated by it are unwise. We had to, we, but there wasn't an Old Testament law that forbid wine. And it, it didn't. And so that's what I want you to see is, okay, there's something else here. Is it a possibility that he wouldn't defile himself with the, the food because it was Possibly offered to idols? Possibly. That could be part of it. Is it possible that also he wouldn't defile himself because it was on the no-no list, the, the meats are on the no-no list? Definitely. That's a possibility. But I also think the scripture shows us here, and you're going to see it hopefully, that there's another possibility that all kind of dovetails together. There's a fourth possibility, and it's that Daniel decided not to accept the king's buddy-buddy favor, and he did so by not accepting his food. You see, it talks about the king's food and the king's wine. Now, you remember how we were told back in Exodus, be careful that you don't make a covenant with these people? I want you to stick with me here for a second. To accept the king's food would have been akin to being in league with the king. Remember, this is the king's food from the king's table. The word translated king's food here in Daniel 1, verse 8, is actual, it's a Persian word that's borrowed, not Hebrew word, it's a Persian word. And the Persian word is pat bag, P-A-T hyphen B-A-G. And it means rich food. And it's only used one other place in the whole Bible. Go with me to Daniel chapter 11 and look at verse 26. You'll see the one other place that this word is used. And you'll see it gives us a little more understanding as to what it means. 
In this prophecy that we're going to get to later on about all these different kings and what's going to happen to them specifically, heading to a picture of what's going to happen with the Antichrist, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 26, it says, even those who eat his food, that's the king's food again, same word, even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain. So here we see that the king eating his food or the king's food was, they were close to him. Even those who were close to him turned on him at this time. And we'll get to that prophecy later on. Those who ate the king's food were actually giving a picture of being in agreement with the king. And I'm going to show you from scripture some other places that illustrate this, but I think there's another level to this with Daniel not wanting to defile himself. Like I say, the whole food offered to idols, possibility. Meat that was not on the list of allowed meats, definitely a strong possibility. I think that's a part of it, but I think there's another layer. You see, Daniel and his buddies have been taken captive. They had no say in that matter. They've also been schooled in the Babylonian culture. Really didn't have a whole lot of say in that matter. But now the king says, I want you to know we're close. And I'm going to let you eat my food. And Daniel and his friends say, not only because of these other issues we've looked at, we don't want to defile ourselves. We also don't want you to think for a second we get our sustenance or provision from you. We get it from God. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 24 through 26. You'll see Moses did the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Were there not some, some definite benefits to be known as Pharaoh's grandson? But he did not accept that. He didn't want people thinking that he got what he got from Pharaoh. He would rather be associated with God, even if that meant mockery. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are, we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Bible says very clearly that we're not to be in league Joined together in agreement with those who are of the world. Now, again, don't get sucked into the wrong Christian mentality of let's just build a compound where we don't have to touch the world and we can just have a Christian conclave. No, 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 no. 
We're to be in the world, but not of it. We'll come back to that at the end of our study. But for right now, I want you to see that actually the scripture also teaches that to eat with somebody was to show that you were in agreement with them. And for the king to share from his personal table and for them to eat from his personal table would be to show that they were in agreement with him. And I don't believe they wanted to do it. Go real quickly with me to Genesis 31. I'm not going to show you even close to half of the scriptures I have written down of passages in the scripture that, that illustrate this. But I'm going to just show you a couple. Go to Genesis chapter 31. Look at verses 43 through 54. This is as Jacob and Laban are coming to an agreement after Jacob stops working for Laban. In chapter 31 of Genesis, verse 43, Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, "The The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters, my daughters, for, or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. There's that covenant thing again. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagur Shedathutha, and that's close enough. But Jacob called it Galid. Thank you, Jacob. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Beyond the making that altar and that pillar, how did they confirm this covenant? They ate together. Write down, look at it later on, Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. You'll see that when God sets up the covenant with the nation of Israel in the wilderness to confirm it, they ate together. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12 talks about the fact that when Ezra read the law, which had been hidden for a while, and they found it, and Ezra read the law, the way that they showed that they were in agreement with what had just been read was they ate together. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 9 through 12. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I'm, not, but I'm now writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here he says, look, you got a brother and sister in Christ who's continually walking in disobedience and they're blatant about it and they're not repentant about it. Don't eat with them. Because when you go eat with them, you're acting like everything's cool and you're all in agreement. 
That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, prior to this, they dealt with the fact that there was a man in the church who was sleeping with his father's wife. The church acted like it was no big deal. And he said, expel the immoral brother. Remove him from your midst. And so, folks, the Bible is very clear that when we eat with people, it's showing we're in agreement. By the way, what was Jesus accused of when he ate with sinners? They thought he was in agreement with them. He eats with sinners. In other words, he approves of their lifestyle. No, Jesus didn't approve of their lifestyle. And every time he ate with sinners, a lot of times like Zacchaeus would come out and say, I'm going to pay everybody back four times as much as I stole. But these were people that were the lost. And he actually went and ate with them. And he showed love to them. But the Bible also tells us to be careful about eating at king's tables. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 23. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, look at what it says. It says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. What do you think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do by saying to these guys, Hey, yeah, I know I took you captive and away from your family, and I know I've given you new Babylonian names, and I know I'm making you learn our culture, but you guys get to eat from my table and the same food I'm eating, the same wine I'm drinking. You guys get to have the same. He was just saying what? We're, we're, we're close. I really care about you. Buddy, buddy, and I'll take care of you. I believe there was an element of the Babylonians possibly offering their meat to idols. We don't know. Definitely strongly believe part of it was the fact that some of these animals weren't allowed by the Jews to be eaten according to the law of Moses. But I think there's a deeper issue here where Daniel wanted to take a stand and not defile himself by making it look for a second either to Nebuchadnezzar or to anybody else that he was getting his provision or his supply from the king. Let me give you a quick example of that. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. We'll get to this story later on in our study of Daniel, and a lot of you know it pretty well. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are in the, uh, about to go into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar has just said, is your God able to rescue you from this fire? Look at what they say in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, we're not looking to you. We're looking past you to God. Now, turn real quickly with me to 2 Kings chapter 25. A very interesting passage of scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 27 through 30, the scripture doesn't say with what I'm, about what I'm about to read to you. It doesn't say whether it's good or bad. It just makes this statement. But as you're about to see, Jehoiachin did the exact thing that Daniel and his buddies would not do. By the way, does anybody remember who Jehoiachin is? It's from last week. 
Remember, he was the king over Judah at the time that Nebuchadnezzar came in and took him captive and how God gave Jehoiachin into him, into Babylonian hands and Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Look at verse chapter 25, verses 27 and following. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, the king of Babylon, this is the king after Nebuchadnezzar, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, from prison, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. I can't tell you if it was good or bad, but it's very interesting that Jehoiachin did what Daniel and his friends wouldn't do. Now, I also want to pull out, go back to Daniel chapter 1. If you remember from what we just read here in verses 8 through 21, that interestingly, God gave them favor in people's eyes by their taking a stand when it came to the king's food. But as we just read in Daniel 3, there are times that you're going to see with Daniel and with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael that they're going to take stands for God, and it's not going to be well-received. Here in this instance, they take a stand for God. They don't eat the king's food. They just say, just give us only vegetables to eat and only water to drink. And they did that. And God honored them. The people Think about how much the, the, the guy that's in charge of them has to respect them already to even let them agree to this. He says, guys, you don't understand. What you're asking of me could get me killed. I'm in charge of making sure that you guys are getting taken care of and you're healthy and you're doing well. That's my job. And if you guys do this and it doesn't work out and you're lesser in your health after 10 days than these other guys, it's going to look bad on me and I'm going to lose my head. And Daniel says, just test us. In other words, test our God. And after 10 days, they were fatter in flesh, the scripture said, which means healthier. But think about the fact that this guy actually agreed to it. They took his stand and they said, okay, we respect your Stand, and we're going to listen to you. And God honored them. Later on, you're going to see Daniel take a stand when it comes to whether or not you're allowed to pray to any other God except Nebuchadnezzar, and he ends up in a lion's den. They didn't respect the, opinion, the stand he took. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a stand, and they didn't respect the stand that they took, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But in all of those instances, whether people respected the stand or didn't respect the stand, God honored them. See, I don't know how people are going to respond when you take the stand that you believe God's taking you to, challenging you to stand or take when it comes to living your life to the glory of God and whatever you do and whether you eat or whatever you drink. You might not even be respected by people in the church. But if God's telling you to take the stand and you know that he's telling you to take the stand and not everybody else, he will honor you for the stand that you take. Go back to Daniel 1. Look at verses 15 through 20 with me. The Bible also says that he not only honored, the, honored them, he made them healthier than the others, and he also gave them wisdom and the ability to interpret and understand dreams and visions. Listen closely here in Daniel 1, 15 through 20. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Vegetables. 
As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of that time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king Cyrus. Listen closely. They not only were honored by God, they were given wisdom and insight, and they had the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Now, I want you to stick with me here. I'm not going off a wacky deep end. But if you go back, you don't have time tonight to go there with me, but if you go back to Deuteron- sorry, to Genesis 39, verses 1 through 23, you'll see the story of Jacob. So not Jacob, Joseph. And how Joseph, he took a stand not to defile himself with Potiphar's wife. And even though the pressure was there and the temptation was there, he did not want to defile himself and he wanted to do everything to the glory of God, even when it came to his sexual purity. And he would not sleep with that man's wife. By the way, he was not respected for that decision. And he ended up in the dungeon, yet God honored him and gave him the ability to interpret dreams. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that if you take a stand for God, he's going to give you the ability to interpret dreams. Don't come to me and say, Jim, I had this dream last night. I'm going to tell you right now, you probably shouldn't have eaten the pizza right before bed. All right, so listen, but there's something to this. There's something to this. We've already seen a little bit of it tonight. We have knowledge, do we not? Those of us who are in Christ have an understanding of things that the world does not understand. And the Bible also teaches for that for those who are willing to seriously live their life for the glory of God in all that they do, he'll not only honor you, he will give you more wisdom and more insight. By the way, that those who understand this aren't going to run around and set up a shingle and say, I've got wisdom and insight. Anybody want to come ask me a question? No, they're going to be the ones who don't speak very much. But you're going to find that over time, people are going to say, you know, when sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so speaks, I hear God every single time. You know, for years, I've been known for talking a lot. A lot of times I've had, I actually had a man say to me one time, Jim, do you know you talk until you think of something? (laughs) But I don't want to be that guy. I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to move into a realm where God's given me insight and he's given me wisdom. But just because he's shown me stuff doesn't mean I'm supposed to say anything until he tells me. And when he does release me, I'm going to do it in a way that would build up and not tear down. To see things with wisdom. And by God's grace, that's happening to the point now that in this ministry that I have, I have pastors all over the country who are contacting me and saying, we're dealing with this issue in our church because of COVID. We're dealing with this issue in our church because the LGBTQT, whatever thing it is, mess that we're dealing with in our bathrooms and all this stuff. And churches are contacting me and saying, what do you think? And I'm saying, Lord, help me. These are hard questions. But every time they ask, I don't think, well, I know. I'm praying 100 miles an hour while I'm on the phone or I'm on an email or a text. Saying, Lord, give me insight, give me wisdom. Where, how would you have me direct them? And folks, let me tell you, there's no set one answer for all the questions. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Paul has just said in the beginning of this chapter that he doesn't want anybody to think that, that, that uh, spiritual truth is understood by his flashy words, but he wants them to trust in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. Look at verse 6, though, of 1 Corinthians 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Don't you remember back in John 16? Jesus said, I have more to share with you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. He'll take what is mine and make it known to you. He'll show you the things that are to come. Folks, let me tell you, there's an for all of you, if you're in Christ and you're desiring to live your life to the glory of God and you listen to what the Spirit of God and the Word of God is showing you and how you're to live your life and you don't make yourself the judge of the people around you, but you live your life to the glory of God in the way that God is telling you and you take the stands that God tells you to take the stands and you do it in such a way that God gets the glory and not you. God will give you more wisdom and more insight. Too many people think, well, Jim, you have wisdom and insight because you've been to seminary. Let me tell you, seminary does more damage than good in most instances. Don't think that learned, learned people, boy, I love the fact that I can't talk. You, now you know I'm not learned. But, but don't think that learned people are the ones who have this insight from God. No, I know some grandmothers who have a deeper understanding of the things of the Spirit and who God is and how he works than people that have been to seminary and have all these doctorates behind their names. We have the Spirit within us. Listen closely. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which, in him, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand, So who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Again, if you hear that and think, I got the mind of Christ, and you think that you got to go become a preacher now because you got the mind of Christ, and I'm going to share everybody all this knowledge I've got, you've already shown that you don't have knowledge. For years, God's blessed a time or two. He'll, he'll show me things as I walk into churches, and I'm there for the first time, and all of a sudden, he'll just show me what's really going on there. By the way, have you ever thought about how in the world did Peter know that Ananias and Sapphira were lying about the amount of money they give? The Holy Spirit. There is discernment. And there have been times that God has shown me things, and he does it a lot. My problem was when he first started to show these things to me, I thought I was supposed to speak about it. And I did a lot of damage. And I had to learn that just because God showed me doesn't mean I was supposed to say something. He was showing me how to pray, how to navigate the waters of the politics in that church as I go to speak. And only if he made me say something was I ever to say something. Until then, I was never to speak about it, just to know it. Folks, let me tell you, I don't want you getting too excited about this wisdom that's available to you. 
but I don't want you to think for a second that you don't have it available to you. Listen closely. God has no favorites, but he has intimates. He has intimates, and you have the ability to become one of them. You're already in Christ if Christ is in you and he sealed you by his spirit, but there's a level of maturity that he wants to move you into, but it's going to require you taking a stand in certain areas where you're going to stop watching what you watch or listening to what you listen to or eating or drinking in ways that you do or whatever. Listen closely. This is the danger here because this is where the preacher started to say which TV shows were approvable and which ones weren't. But you know what? The person next to you probably is allowed by God to see the same TV program that he's telling you not to watch because he knows the heart and he knows this person can watch it and it won't affect them. This person, it's going to cause them problems. And we don't like that. Years ago, I was associate pastor of a big church in New Orleans. And a lot of times I was single at the time because Becky and I hadn't gotten married yet. And, and I would hang out with the singles department. And one Sunday after church, we all went to this like Western Sizzling. And we're all sitting there together as a group of singles. And this one young man in the, in, the, in the group was pouring his heart out at lunch to all the rest of the singles about how his girlfriend had broken up with him the night before. And he was just devastated. And he shared with us, he had a Volkswagen bug. He said, after she broke up with me, all I did last night was drive for two, three hours, nonstop, cranking REO Speedwagon on the radio. And in, this, in the middle of this guy sharing his heart and his hurt, this one girl leans in and goes, does REO Speedwagon glorify God? <laughs> Do you see what happens? We get so caught up in the outward action. No, God's looking at your heart, folks. And I believe in this instance, Daniel's decision was, I want to make sure my heart stays true to the true God, and I'm not going to be suckered by the king's food. Go real quickly with me to John 15. I'm going to let the scripture speak to us, and then we're going to close with Romans 14. John 15, listen to what Jesus says in verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. Jump over to chapter 17. Look at verses 14 through 19. Jesus is praying. He says to the Father, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I haven't even had time to go into that level of this, folks. Do you realize that I not only am to live my life for the glory of God so that he'll be glorified and I may be honored, but also I have a wife and I have children who will be devastatingly affected if I allow the world to win and the pressures of the world that are out there. And for their sake, I sanctify myself. Pray for God to have control of my life. You don't know 
how much your unholy living may affect the people around you. Go to 1 John chapter 2. You'll see where this pressure is coming from in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship, our reasonable service. And we're not to be conformed to what? The pattern of this world. But we're to daily, throughout the day, that's what that Greek word means, renew our minds through the renewing of our minds, then we'll know what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. James chapter 1, verse 27 says it this way, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans and keeping oneself unspotted by the world. Go back with me to Romans 14. We'll close with this tonight. Listen closely. As we deal with living our life for the glory of God, the temptation to determine everybody else's definition of living for the glory of God is going to be strong. We just left off that God's able to make him stand. Look at verse 5 of Romans 14. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, not to win the argument with your brother or sister, just to do what you believe God's leading you to do. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living." Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Many of us were raised with things that were approved in the church, like movies or not, cards or not dancing or not. We could go on and on, could we not? And we grew up in a church mindset and a culture that determined what everybody else is living for the glory of God was supposed to be. But the Bible says very clearly that that's once we get saved and he becomes our Lord, we're to be living our lives for the glory of God. And as you do, he will show you what that looks like. And as you walk in obedience to him, he'll honor you. He'll give you more insight and more wisdom. You'll grow in your walk with the Lord. Avoid the temptation to become everybody else's judge and let God show you what that means. So the question is, in what way did Daniel not want to defile himself with the king's food? You ready for the answer? We don't know. You could have said that at the beginning and saved us all this time. No, hopefully the rest of it was valuable. Possibly it was because it was offered to idols. Possibly because it, the meat wasn't on the approved list. Possibly because 
by eating of it, he would have been agreeing or making it look like he was in agreement or getting his support and provision from the king. We really don't know. Go live that way in the way that God's showing you. And don't worry about everybody else. You'll enjoy Christianity a whole lot more. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks.